This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or be on blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hello folks, welcome to episode 68 of our podcast, Adam's my name, host, creator, producer. I do pretty much everything, really, here at the How You Go Mate podcast and uh, uh, thank you so much for joining me for this uh, for this episode. Now, uh, I want to apologise. There was supposed to be an episode on the twenty fourth, which was of course Christmas Eve, and uh, like everyone, Christmas this uh, couple of weeks leading into Christmas has just been crazy. So we did have an episode sort of recorded with somebody, um, one that I'm really keen to get out, but I want to put that out in the new year. And my intention was to always do a twenty twenty one podcast, a bit of a a bit of a, I guess, an overview of what our 2021 looked like here at How You Going, Mate. Um, and more importantly, what my 2021 looked like, and particularly the back half of this. Uh, I want to say that this isn't an episode about COVID, uh, because the things I'm going to talk about are tools and strategies that everyone can use to manage their mental health in any situation. Uh, but this is framed in the context of uh, the Delta uh, era of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, that that particular variant that popped its head up this year and um, basically wreaked havoc all over the world, and particularly here in Australia and especially here in in Sydney. So I wanted to uh, record that episode uh, and talk about what the back end of 2021 looked like for me. Uh, but before I do that, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been on our podcast uh, this year. Um, now, I put out an episode around about five months ago called Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself, where I sort of talked a little bit about, uh, I guess, the difficulties of getting people to come onto the podcast. You know, we have to ask people to bear their souls, essentially, and um, it's always difficult to do because, you know, this is a, a topic, a, an area that people don't want to talk about. Mental health still has this incredible stigma surrounding this, and we believe that the way to break down that stigma is, of course, by getting people to talk about their mental health, getting people to be honest about it. Uh, we did an episode uh, probably a couple of years ago now called uh, The Secrets We Keep Are Killing Us. And I and I honestly believe that's the case. You know, when we're keeping secrets about what's going on for us or we're keeping secrets about our family and, and we're, we're making people feel shame around those secrets, it's tough. And it contributes really, really heavily towards people's poor mental health. And so <clears throat> one of the things we really believe is that the way to break that stigma down, as we said, is to talk about this. And so if I'm going to ask people to talk about this, I'm going to have to talk about this myself. Uh, I'm going to have to be honest about what happened with me this year. And it wasn't awful, like I'm... <laughs> probably clickbaiting it a little bit, but it was enough. It was enough to remind me that your mental health is something you have to be constantly vigilant about. I had a diagnosis 
of depression. I no longer meet the diagnostic criteria for depression. But this year was as close as I've ever got to getting back to that that criteria. It was as close as I've ever gotten to this. So I guess for those of you that aren't here, I mean, everyone all over the world had lockdowns and and quarantines of some description. We all had that experience. And so for those of you that weren't here in Western Sydney, in the first round of COVID back in 2020, and as I said, this is not a COVID episode. This is not about COVID. But it is framed in the context of COVID. COVID was one of the, the drivers for this. Um, but the themes surrounding this are universal, I think, in terms of how we experience poor mental health. Uh, but in 2020, we were locked down for about six weeks. And, you know, slowly around about the middle of last year, we started to get back to a degree of normality, so to speak. And we started to kind of get back into living our lives. Uh, and then, of course, in early June this year here in, in Sydney, we had uh, the Delta variant. We had a, a case that uh, escaped, so to, for lack of a better term, out of hotel quarantine and got into our community and just spread like wildfire. So here we are, again, finding ourselves in lockdowns. It was the 25th of June. Um, our Premier here in New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian, is announcing that we are back in a two, at least a two-week lockdown. Um, there were a period of time where they were attempting to sort of manage this by living with it, you know, having masks and wearing things, wearing sanitising and checking in, but it got to a point where lockdown became the option and vaccinations became the option. And so we were here in Western Sydney. Um, I mean, was in what was known as an LGA of concern, local government area of concern, which ultimately ended with us being in a lockdown that meant we could not leave... Uh, our houses virtually. Uh, we couldn't leave within a 5k radius of a house. If we had to travel with outside of five kilometres, there had to be a whole range of, you know, very good reasons why. Um, for example, if we had to go shopping um, and we had to go and buy something that wasn't readily available here in our area, um, we had major stores shut down. We had shopping centres shut down. Shut down. Of course, a whole range of hospitality and retail businesses were shut down. Um, it was just the city ground to a halt you know we to give you an example of just how severe this was I was talking to someone the other day who said I couldn't even cross the road to go and see the people across the road now that's how serious these lockdowns were we weren't allowed any visitors to our houses unless they were for absolutely essential reasons we went here in our house we went three months without seeing family and friends um nearly four months at the end so it was pretty severe and what we actually experienced um well as i've said um this is an experience that one day my children will be telling their grandchildren about I, i believe we're living through history at the moment we are living through a chapter of you know, a, a chapter of a history book. We are living through uh, a future school child's history lessons. It's un, something, un, as I say, unlike we've ever experienced before. But what the breaking point for me? So what? So what actually happened was we're, we're locked down. Uh, we can't leave our house. We're working from home. Uh, we can't see our family. We can't see our friends. We can't travel anywhere. We can't do anything. The 
breaking point for me. And, and, and to understand, I mean, this is relentless. Every news channel has got a report about the COVID ver- virus on the Delta variant. We're having daily announcements of case numbers, and we're seeing case numbers go from, you know, 1, 2, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, you know, up to, up to um, nearly 2,000 a day. People being, you know, uh, testing positive for this thing. We're hearing stories about people dying on a daily basis. It was relentless and and fear-based and just horrible. Uh, So for me, you know, it's something we can manage pretty well in the sense of trying to be reasonable about this, logic this. You know, we were safe. We hadn't had any contact with it. Uh, but slowly we started to, and the difference this time was we started to know people that were going through it. We started to hear stories about families, personal family stories about families that had friends that were dying, had family members that were dying. Um, you know, just really, it was it was, <laughs> for lack of a better term, it you know it was like a plague. No, I don't want to say that. It was just relentless is the only way we can describe it. It was constant and consistent. Now, I work for, I work in the community services sector, I work for a disability service. And one of the groups of people that are particularly vulnerable to this virus are people with disabilities. So, of course, we had some pretty significant, um, well, we were working from home at that point, most of us, but the the people that were working, I guess, a forward-facing capacity with clients, had some pretty severe restrictions placed on them in terms of having to get tests every three days and working uh, in only in certain areas and with certain groups. And, I mean, the real fear and the genuine fear was that one of our clients would get that and, and, and you know, perhaps physically or their their immune system would not be able to cope with you know, getting the virus. But um, it culminated in a ban on, a significant ban on group activities. Uh, it culminated in... Um, several industries being shut down, namely the construction industry, but also parts of the community services sector and the disability services sector was part of that. So, in effect, the organisation I work for uh, had no other choice but to um, cease operations for a period of time uh, because we simply weren't getting income. Uh, we simply weren't we weren't able to. We have, um, without giving too much away, you know, a certain part of our 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 funding is is guaranteed by the government a certain part of it is earned by delivering services and when we're not able to deliver those, deliver those services we don't get that money and so we had uh, no money and we weren't earning money and to survive basically our, our business had to pause for a while um, if we didn't we were in real trouble and so you know there was a, a pretty you know a pretty tough a Zoom call one day where the CEO has to say to us, you know, we are having to stand down. If you are working in a service that isn't funded on an ongoing basis, you're being stood down as of today. And that was me. I was that person. And for me, that was the catalyst. That was the, the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of, you know, I was working really hard to manage my mental health at that point, was doing okay, um, but this was too much. I, I, you know, I'm in my 40s. I have a family. I have a mortgage, like most of us. 
um, mouths to feed, people that rely on me. And all of a sudden I hear the news that, well, for the time being, you don't have a job. And now at this stage, there was the announcement was it was only for two weeks. But as we said before, we were told initially that the entire thing was only going to be for two weeks. And that date kept getting extended and extended and extended. And so that uncertainty around when we were actually going to finish this, well, that was that was a part of this, this, this announcement as well. So here we are sitting here. We're already probably nearly a, a month into this thing. We've gone for a month without seeing family and friends. We've gone for a month under, being under fairly strict lockdown conditions. We've gone for a month homeschooling. Um, we've gone through a month of, you know, just consistent and relentless reporting about this and the fear surrounding that. And so now we get to, now I get told I don't have a, a well, I'm being stood down. Now, to their credit and to his credit, our, our CEO was adamant that he intended to save our organisation and this was the only way to save the organisation. He was adamant that we would all have jobs to return to, that by doing this we would all have jobs to return to and much to his credit, we did. Um, to kind of spoiler alert, but I'm back working full-time for my organisation. Um, but I've worked there for 16 years and I don't... You know, it's been a huge part of my life for a very long time. And so, for me, I I just went into a, a meltdown, really. Um, well, what do I do? I have no money. I'm going to have to go for the first time, probably in my adult, or one of the only times, one of a few times in my adult life, I'm going to have to go to the government and I'm going to have to ask for a benefit. Now, our government here in Australia had put in a number of uh, COVID-specific payments that you could apply for and, and, and get. And I was able to access those, which was wonderful. But one of the things, to go back to what we were talking about before about getting people to come onto our program, one of the things I talk to people about is I, our podcast is not about our trauma. It's not about our pain. Our podcast is about how we manage that. Our podcast is about how we've recovered from that, how we continue to manage our mental health. So this is the part where I want people to know that whilst this is, as I said, framed in the context of COVID, this is not a COVID podcast. This is about what I did and what I had to actively do to manage this part of what was happening and to not go into a tailspin. Because I started to. I started to see in myself... I was angry, I was snappy, there were days I didn't want to get out of bed, uh, there were days I just wanted to lay down all day, and there were days I certainly did that. And that's probably one of the first things I'm going to say to people, that if you are feeling like you just want to lay in bed, then lay in bed. But don't do it all day. There was a day very early in our in our COVID experience that I didn't Get, I didn't shower or get out of my pajamas, you know, and I was actually quite ashamed of myself. And so, one of the things we talk about when we talk about our mental health and we talk about managing that is to is to make and manage routines. Um, I watched a, a Sesame Street uh, special the other day, and you've got Elmo uh, advising kids around this very topic in this very context. 
And that's what he says. So if Elmo says it, it's good enough, you know. But I decided one of the very first things I'm going to say to you, and as I said, this is not about what we do to... Uh, it's not about the trauma or the pain. This is about what we do to recover and manage that. So one of the very first things I decided was is I had to get up and have a shower every day. I couldn't not do that. That had to be a priority. I was not going to allow myself to go through another day where I got to 4 o'clock in the afternoon and I hadn't showered or got down to my pyjamas. So every day I got up and showered and, and did what I needed to do. I also tried to get up at a reasonable hour. There was a, uh, another day where I didn't get up until... I didn't wake up to about 11.30, which when I was 22 was pretty common because <laughs> it usually involved a hangover of some description as well. But at 45, it's not something I can do and it's certainly not something I want to do. And so trying to maintain that, getting up at a reasonable hour, getting up and having a shower, getting up and having a shave, making my bed, maintaining that very simple, basic morning routine was certainly something that I I made sure I did. Getting up and making breakfast for the family, getting up and making lunch for the family, having dinner at the same time. Again, that routine, that very basic, simple routine was certainly something I maintained. But it took me a little while to break the uh, sleeping in everyday habit, but um, to break the uh, to laying down everyday habit, because I just didn't want to do anything, and that's why I knew that I was starting to get depressed. I just didn't want to do anything. Um, I did feel sad. I did feel depressed. I did feel down, and I was losing enjoyment of things that I normally enjoyed. And so the second thing I decided I needed to do was, well, I, I had taken a period, couple of weeks of leave because we were given the option to take leave. Uh, ultimately, I realised that we were going to be in this lockdown and, and in the stand-down, I should say, for much longer than I, I, I thought. So I, I, bought, um, I bought a couple of weeks of time with, with taking leave, but eventually decided, well, I'm going to actually have to bite the bullet here. Uh, so we got to about mid-August, I think, and this was sort of the second thing that I did, and we spoke to Michelle in the last episode, and Michelle talked about the things that she has to do to maintain her mental health, which is, you know, um, good diet, good sleeping, exercise, and paying bills. And she talked about paying bills in the context of, you know, sort out the problems that you can sort out immediately. Uh, talking to a friend of mine, or my friend Georgia, who um, is our sort of marketing advisor here at How You Going, Mate, she talks about doing the instant win tasks first, doing those little things that you can do easily so you feel good and you get the little dopamine hit and the endorphin hit and then that causes you and, and makes you go on and do the other things. But one of the things I sat down and I went, well, okay, let's look at the things I have to do because for me the financial thing was a really big factor here. Um, paying bills, providing for my family, putting food on the table. It was a really big part of this. I was There was a real concern for me about having to manage that part of our, our my world. And so um, I sorted out the things that I could sort out. I rang up the company that um, had a couple of payments that come out of my account on a fairly regular basis. I have a, a car lease and I have a, a mortgage repayment for an investment property. Uh, I have... Uh, child support payment that comes out and so here in Australia there I mean there were provisions made for this for through COVID anyway but 
generally speaking, most my understanding is most financial agreements have a, a, a legally have to have a, a clause that allows for hardship and allows for a three month pause. And so I was able to ring uh, the mortgage company and the lease company and say car lease company and say, can I have that pause? And that was certainly doable. In the case of the lease, it just meant I added three months onto the end of the lease, which is fine. I can live with that. And in case of the um, the investment property, it just meant my repayments would go up just a little bit. Like, I mean, literally just uh, a few dollars a fortnight just to allow for that um, over the course of the loan. And that was both, they were both entirely manageable things. Once I did that, combined with applying for and getting the the pandemic payment, which was always going to happen, I was never going to not get it once I applied for it, that 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 pressure was taken off. And, and I can't describe how much that helped. I can't describe how much that changed how I felt about this. Now, the third payment was the child support payment, and I did ring and speak to the agency about that. For those of you out there that have been through family courts and child support, it can be quite a, a traumatic experience, and for me, it's still very much a trigger. Um, and talking to people from those agencies often ends with me getting quite angry. I really I should apologise to all those people. But the lady I spoke to was lovely, and she was very helpful, and she gave me great advice, and ultimately, I, I didn't actually change that payment. I could have, uh, but just because I wasn't sure how long it was going to take, and I was able to figure out some of the other payments and manage this payment. So I, I, I stuck the, I kept the child support payment going. So that wasn't something I sort of played around with too much. But being able to sort out those finances really helped me to kind of start to feel a little less anxious about what was happening and, and a lot less stressed. And that then allowed me to change my mindset. Now we're looking at sort of mid-August here. And over that next week or so, I then made that conscious decision. And this is another thing we talk about in terms of self-care and managing a mental health condition is in how your attitude to the problem affects how you manage the problem. I decided, well, look, I'm, you know, and I'm going to take this as an opportunity to have a break. Now, at this stage, our government was talking about vaccination rates and was saying that once we got to certain milestones in the vaccination process we would be able to reopen and they were giving us very clear dates 80 percent 90 percent sort of october november and they were almost a guarantee that at 90 that at around about 90 percent which would be around about early november uh, we would pretty much be able to reopen again because there would be a a level of immunity within the community and we would it would be uh, you all know about vaccinations so now we had a time frame november was the time frame we're at mid-august I can't control this. I can't do anything else. I've I've solved the problems I can solve. I've sorted out the things I need to sort out. I've got some money coming in via payments. And so my next step then was to change my mindset, which means I just went, I'm going to take September off. And I'm just going to not think about this for the whole of September. So from the end of sort of August through to all of September, it was like five or six weeks. Now, how often do you get five or six weeks, just clear time off where you're still getting some income, but you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to be anywhere. You don't have to do anything. There's no school sport. There's no extracurricular activities. 
There's no pressure to go somewhere, be places. You just get to sit at home and chill. And that's what I got to do for the whole of September. And that's, that was the second part, the mindset shift, changing how I approach this problem. There were guarantees that my job was going to be there waiting for me when I got back. There were guarantees that we were going to reopen at 80%, both of which came true. Spoiler alert again. <laughs> both of which came true. So it was that opportunity to just take that time and chill. Around mid-August, I was also my great friend Ben Hughes and, and David Poynton from the men's table. Um, they asked me to do a bit of a presentation. Now, we recorded an episode a while back called Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself, where I talked about um, formalizing some of the philosophies around uh, how you're going, mate. And I'm not going to go into it all now. Go back and listen to it. Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself if you want to hear what we think there. But I started to talk about things like active support and, you know, empathy and taking action and and some of the things that we believe are essential to uh, supporting people to manage their mental health. And Ben asked me to come uh, to a, a, a men's table runner uh, a session once every few months for men to a Zoom session in this case and asked me to come and present for, for 10 minutes about how you going, mate? And about active support, about the idea of you know calling someone, not waiting for them to call you, and, and asking them how they are, and, and actively supporting someone to manage their mental health. And so that was probably thing number three for me, which was I started to find a purpose. I realised now I also had time to work on how you going, mate. I had time to sit and start to write and to start to really think about what this is. So, so far I've written about 11,000 words on what How You Going Man is, you know. Not a massive amount in the grand scheme of things, but a lot for me. But I sat down and with my pen and my pad and I'd go out into my back deck here uh, and sit in the sun, sit with my daughter who was doing her working from home stuff, uh, school, school work from home stuff. And we would sit down in our back table, in our back deck, and we would write, I'd write how you going, mate, stuff, and she'd do her schoolwork. Um, that was fantastic. And so that was the other thing that then started changing me. I work on the, the chime model of recovery, connection, hope, identity, meaning, and empowerment. And I started to do something that gave me meaning and really work on this thing that gave me meaning. Now, it's still not finished. <laughs> you know, life's taken back over again. I work on it when I can. But I, I got a pretty good... I, I fleshed out a pretty good skeleton of what this How You Going Mate stuff is going to look like eventually. And so that was another thing that helped me to to get myself back into, uh, you know, feeling better. Um, writing the How You Going Mate material. Restarting the podcast... In, Ju in July, I had paused it earlier in the year, but I now started to talk to people about recording episodes again, and I figured out how to do it remotely. And so being able to record over the phone with it sounding still pretty good um, and being back into recording again, again renewed that sense of purpose. In the midst of all of that, <laughs> there's a, a social media uh, post that goes around that says, you know, three mistakes people make in lockdown. Like getting pregnant, buying an air fryer, and buying a, getting a puppy. So we didn't get pregnant, happy to say that. Um, we didn't get an air fryer, but we did buy a blender. 
and I believe the air fryer just represents a thing that's a good idea but essentially becomes a white elephant and is a useless uh, and underused piece of uh, appliance, kitchen appliance and we bought a blender which was very popular for the first uh, week or two uh, makes great fruit smoothies but now sits largely unused <laughs> and uh, the third part of that is getting a puppy we got a puppy so we, um, after much debate and much toing and froing, we bought a beautiful little Maltese Shih Tzu cross and we named her Daisy. And Daisy's gorgeous. And like most dads who buy puppies, we don't. I didn't want the pup, the dog. Uh, my daughter was absolutely adamant she wanted a dog, and would do everything she could to look after it. <laughs> and for those of you that got kids, you know how that works out. Uh, my wife has always wanted a puppy, and 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 she was very very. Um, again, adamant that she wanted a puppy, and I was um, uh, largely opposed to it. Not because I don't like dogs, because I love them, uh, but mostly because I kind of knew that I would become responsible for this dog on many, a lot of levels, which turned out to be true. And there was a whole range of other reasons, but eventually, of course, like like a lot of dads, I caved, and we got a dog. And this dog turned out to be one of the great loves of my life. <laughs> It sounds terrible to say that. She became um, a part of our family pretty instantly. We sort of looked at our, our situation and decided that um, we knew we had a few months to settle this dog in. We had a period of time to train it and to get it used to being around us and being a part of our family. Um, we had the ability to sort of make some changes in, t in terms of our, our yard space and things like that to, to uh, accommodate the dog. Uh, but Daisy has just become, yeah, part of the, the, the furniture and she became so fairly quickly. Um, she's just a wonderful little thing. One of the things that we know happens when we're dealing with things like love and affection is um, your body gets this incredible hit of oxytocin, uh, the love drug. You get the same thing when you're a teenager and you're in love or when you're 45 and you're in love. Uh, you get this incredible hit of oxytocin. It's why parents fall immediately in love with their children because your body just gets flooded with oxytocin as soon as you see them for the first time. And um, Daisy was my oxytocin hit. But she was more than that. She was a distraction. She was um, a, another focal point. She was a, a vulnerable little sentient being that needed love and care and support. She was a distraction for my daughter and something for her to love. Um, she was a distraction for my wife and something for her to love. And she was a distraction for me and something for me to love. And there's an old joke that says, you know, if you want to find out who loves you more, lock your wife and your dog outside for an hour. And when you open the door, see which one of them is happier to see you. <laughs> and I guarantee you it'll be the dog every time. Um, the dog, when I walk in the door, loses a damn mind every single time. And just loves me unconditionally and it's an amazing thing there is a reason they're called man's best th friend we decided that she was going to change our lifestyle and that she probably we probably needed to change our lifestyle and it, one of the other things that we did to manage ourselves through lockdown was to walk to go and get outside as often as we could whilst we're allowed to and on days when you don't want to go for a walk uh, the dog forces you to do that because she needs to go right she needs to be outside and so you know she only needs half an hour she's only a little dog she gets exhausted pretty easy so but that was it for us 
taking her out into the world and and being and 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 just being in love with her and so that was awesome and it was definitely a huge part of our experience now i'm not going to say when you manage your mental health get a dog uh, you know oh, I'm, I'm anxious and depressed i'm going to buy a dog that's not the way to do it um because you probably but it it, it, it does give you a, a focus you know you now have to look after something else and in a way, weird way it renews your hope because you can see that love and that companionship and that having that thing there to just keep you company. Even though they can't talk back, you know. Not very good conversationalist dog. Dogs, but, you know. But she was so important. So, you know, Daisy was super important to our our time and, and that part of that. And so having that there, that's our other part of this, you know find something that you can look after find something you can be responsible for find something that's going to give you some affection you know not all of these strategies are going to work for you but for me buying a dog and being a part of its life and it being a part of our life was one of the best things we could have done now, now I spoke before about the chime model of recovery connection hope identity meaning and empowerment um, hope for me was the hope that this would end and that our jobs would be safe which ultimately proved to be true identity for me was you know coming to grip understanding that my identity wasn't changing and coming to grips with the idea that I was stood down for a period of time but I would go back to being who I was and that 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 part of that you know, 16 years that have defined the past, the, the the job that I have, I should say, that have defined the last 16 years of my life is going to still be there. Meaning was the how you going, mate, stuff. Um, and also, I guess with identity was also, I was still a husband and a father and I still had a child that needed me to be her, her dad. The meaning was, of course, yeah, how you going, mate, and, and doing that and empowerment was that change of mindset and taking back some of that control. But connection was the first one on that list, and it's probably the last thing I'm going to talk about. Um, I was very fortunate that I could talk to Barb, my wife, um, who you guys have heard on the podcast before, and she was amazing. I was able to chat to her and explain how I was feeling, and she could see how I was feeling. It was pretty obvious what I was going through. And some of these things that we did, um, certainly the dog, was definitely a part of her helping me to manage my mental health. Um but there were a few people that I was able to talk to and uh, you know my good friend Craig um, who's been on our episode before his family have been on our episode Craig and Eliza um, you know just every couple of weeks having a chat to him and he had some stuff going on as well so he talked to me about what was going on for him and I talked to him about what was going on for me and just having that opportunity to, to chat to people uh, my manager, my co-worker, my friend, Vanessa, who is, you know, knew what was happening, obviously. Um, probably didn't really maybe understand the full extent of how I was feeling, but she's pretty empathic and insightful. So I suspect she probably heard it in my voice. Um, and I, I certainly know she would have been actively managing it from her end. Um, but there were days where, and same with Craig, uh, there were days when uh, Vanessa and I would have conversations that had nothing to do with mental health. They were just 
two people talking shit for an hour, which sometimes it's what you need. You know, we put a quote up a little while back and it was inspired by this experience where I said on one of the social, one of our social media posts was, you know, not every conversation needs to be a serious one. Sometimes you can just talk shit for an hour, laugh, be silly. And that distraction is what you need, you know, just to, to feel like you're not completely immersed in your mental health and what's going on for you and trying to manage that. So having that opportunity to do that with her was was incredible. Um, talking to her about what was going on was was so helpful and being connected. Uh, my friend Georgia, for much the same reason as I said before, Georgia's our marketing advisor here at How You Going, mate. She helps me out when I need to uh, ask her questions. And Georgia's the best. She's brilliant, and she was again like all of us going through some stuff. So talking to her, her talking to us having that back and forth just maintaining that connection and last but most certainly not least um, again a work friend a work colleague of mine Elisa again has her own stuff was dealing with her own things but the ability to talk to her and 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 uh, you know her and I have really in-depth conversations unlike anyone I've ever anyone else that I speak to we go into very very deep territory sometimes and um, often we don't know how we get there we just go there but it was important to have that conversation with her as well. Um, the other thing that our organisation did really well was they had like weekly whole of organisation Zoom meetings. We had fairly regular team meetings and then, you know, we had what you would call section meetings, you know, you know, half a dozen different teams that all work under a single sort of um, senior manager and we'd have these section meetings. And again, the section meetings, I mean, often were sometimes just a little bit about hey man, this is what's happening with COVID um, and this is what's going on for the company. But also they were just about, sometimes just about talking shit. And anyone that knows me knows I'm a, a bit of a smart ass and a bit of a comedian. And the great contradiction for me when I'm when I feeling really down is, is I still want to be funny. <laughs> I can't fight that natural urge to just be a smart ass and, and look for the funniness. And certainly humour is one of the ways I deal with you know, when my mental health is poor and deal with my depression and deal with, you know, my emotions. And so having that opportunity to do that was just essential. So maintaining that connection, having the section meetings, having the uh, the um, the all of organisation meetings, um, and people expect me to be a certain way. And so, you know, they'll, they'll often, hey, how are you going, Adam? What's going on with you? And, you know, sometimes I just want to be, oh, I'm okay. Uh, but they're difficult to fight the urge to be the funny Adam, and that's what I found myself doing. Um, and so, yeah, maintaining that connection on a on a big level, on a wide level, but on a, an individual level, people knowing what was going on for you and, and being able to talk about that with people was so essential. I want to also give a special shout-out to um, a team that I work with, uh, Southwest Sydney Recovery College, who ran some coffee and catch-up sessions uh, for much the same reason, and I participated in one of those one day. And it was great. Again, just a laugh, bit of a joke, bit of, you know, 45 half minutes, an hour of just putting on a bit of a comedy show was, you know, essential. But also just being connected and understanding. And again, like we always say, you know, your mental health tells you you're alone. It tells you no one will understand and no one wants to hear this. But realising that other people are in the same situation as you, that you're not alone, that you're not a freak, is super important. 
And that's kind of the point of the podcast. You know, there's hopefully someone listening here who will hear these things and go, man, I was feeling the same. And as I said, they're in the context of COVID, but these are general things. You know, keeping your routine is something you should do no matter what's affecting your mental health. You know, still get up and shower, still get up and and do your thing. You know, still get up and wash your hair and brush your teeth and, and change your clothes on a regular basis. You know, sorting out the things you can sort out, you know, solving the problems you can solve. Once they're once they're off your off your plate, so to speak, you feel so much better. Um, you know, get pay the bill that you can pay. Tick the box that you can tick. Just, you know, go for that instant win task, as we said earlier on. Um, changing your mindset. Thinking differently, you know. Figuring out if there's a way you can think differently about what's going on for you. You know, finding that meaning, starting the podcast. Now, I had the time. Let's do the thing I want to do. Let's pursue the passion project. If you've got a month off, take that time. Don't waste it. You've got 24 hours in the day. You're asleep for... At least six of them. That means you've got at least 18 hours to do the thing you want to do. Find the time to do that. Um, I don't, I'm not going to tell you to go and buy a dog, but it worked for me. But even getting a pet, getting a bird, getting a fish, something that needs you more than you need it, but you will ultimately need it more than it needs you. Um, and it's really important. And then staying connected. Just staying connected making sure you're talking to people. And as we say, you know, we don't, we think, I think, one of the things we talk about is you don't always want to ask for support. Every message you'll hear is, don't be, no, don't be scared to ask for support. We don't always want to do that. But if you can't ask for support, at least be brave enough to accept support when it's offered to you. And if someone's calling you to say, how you going, mate? Tell them how you going. I feel shit. This is weighing me down. This is what I'm dealing with. Can you help me? Can you just listen to me for an hour? So I feel like I can just release this from from wherever I need to release it from. Really important. Now, usually I want to finish this with a what's your go-to. And I don't have a go-to in terms of managing your mental health. Other, Other than to say that, you know... Sometimes I feel a bit strange asking that question because I ask people to identify their go-to and people often give me their go-to, but there's no single thing that will instantly and automatically make you feel better when your mental health is poor. It's a, it's a series of things. It's a range of things. Uh, I can tell you now, when I walked in the door and that little dog was jumping with joy to see me, I felt better. And when... I talked to people that made me laugh or made me smile, I felt better. And when I talked to my wife about how I was feeling and let her know this is what's going on inside my head, I felt better. Uh, I even sat down at one point and we made leather necklaces, and one of which I still wear with my daughter. I made these leather braided necklaces. I felt better. So what I'm going to say to you is you go to should be find the thing that makes you feel good and do that the positive thing not the negative thing find the positive thing that makes you feel better and do that and do that as often as you can and then find another positive thing and keep adding positive things 
until you've got a whole range of positive experiences that you can use to make you feel better and just keep doing them, doing them as often as you can. That's all I can say. So with all that being said, um, a big thank you for listening. A big thank you to everyone that's been a part of our podcast this year. You might have just heard somebody sneeze in the background. I don't know if you would have heard that through the microphone. Um, A big thank you to everyone that's been a part of this this year. As we said, we restarted in about July. um, And I had some great guests. I had Rafia earlier in the year. She was fantastic. I had my great friend Kylie Georgeson uh, talking about ageing and mental health. We had Matt coming on talking about his cancer journey. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, You know, that's been a huge success, that episode. Uh, the one and only, the one and only Laura, where we talked about holding space and a whole range of other things. She's been our best performing episode this year. And uh, she's a force of nature, Laura. If you do, if you have a chance to listen to the episode, by all means, please take a listen. Um, Amy, um, just an incredible story of addiction and mental health. And uh, I'm assured that we've only heard a little bit of her story. Um, so I'd, you know, hopefully we get a chance to talk again. Uh, the wonderful Jan Clark. We had two cancer um, survivors on this year, and Jan is probably singularly the most positive person I know, and she was incredible. Um, my friend Anissa, who I've known for 30 years, but I, um, it's happened a couple of times now, I get these people and I hear these incredible stories. And Anissa's way of dealing with this and managing and, and talking about you know so-called natural therapies was amazing. Jackie, who I've known for a long time, and I know she had a great story, and and Jackie sort of sits at that, you know, that probably a different end of the spectrum that I sit at in terms of how she's experienced her mental health through the years. And of course, last but most certainly not least, Michelle, um, who was uh, incredible a couple of weeks ago. So a big thank you to her. But again, everyone that loves and su- supports us, any everyone that does, you know... Um, even just spends a few minutes listening to our podcast. Uh, but our, like I say, my good friend, the Clarks, Eliza and Craig, they incredible supports of ours. Georgia, who helps out anytime I need to ask her a marketing question. And just anybody that's been on our podcast, Ben Hughes and Dave from the men's table for helping us get people to come onto our podcast. It's really been wonderful, their support. And so here's to more of this in 2022. I've got a great episode coming up in 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 the first part of 2022 uh, with Steve, uh, Steve Sweeney. So that's going to be a really cool chat. We just recorded that a, a few days ago. And um, yeah, more of the same in 2022 and uh, watch this space. Let's see if we can do something really fantastic and uh, finally start to learn with co- learn to live with COVID. But more importantly, we want to just keep having conversations about mental health and we want to break down that stigma around mental health. And ultimately... We just want to encourage people to talk about their mental health. And most importantly, as soon as you finish listening to this, go and ask somebody, how you going, mate? Okay, thanks for listening.